Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coastline Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message will equip, encourage, and edify you in your journey of life. We'd love to connect with you. Please email us at info at coastlinecc.org. And for more information about our church and our services, visit coastlinecc.org. Now let's open our hearts and open God's Word. We live in a culture that seeks power. Just like my boys are playing football, trying to get power and trying to get strong and and play hard. Uh, We live in a culture that, in a grander scheme, in a bigger way, is seeking power through notoriety, through through beauty, uh, through success. We live in a culture that seeks power. And not only do they seek power, but in in their quest for power, often the weak are cast aside. Uh, Often we live in a culture that that silences the voices that go against them. And through history, though, we have seen that where those that often seem to have the most power, the most strength, are not often the most powerful. They may have have what looks like power and strength, and and, and we we can look at the scriptures and even see uh, the armies of God and how the the Philistines and the enemies in the Old Testament were much larger, but, but even though this small army of the Israelites, how God would give them the victory. Those that look like they have the most power often are not the most powerful. True power often shows up, what we're going to talk about today, in the form of gentleness. True power often shows up in the form of gentleness, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit we see in the New Testament. Gentleness is the story of, of, is a story of power and what we do with that power. Gentleness is the, really the greatest expression of power that there is. And nowhere in all of history is, is this better illustrated than in the life of Jesus Christ. Gentleness. The one who had greatest power, the, the creator uh, uh, the, the, the author and finisher of our faith, Almighty God, the one with the greatest power, shows us gentleness the best. But our next story of Jesus in the book of John doesn't show his magnificent power that he has. It's a story of powerful gentleness. There's a passage in the Old Testament that is quoted again in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, that 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 I believe sums up the character of Jesus Christ and the person of who he is and how he lived in this world. And I do have the scriptures on the screen today. Hopefully they work. Um, But in Matthew 12, the author points back to the prophet Isaiah when it says in verse 17, talking about Jesus, by the way, says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. And this is what begins talking about the character of Jesus, this person that points back to Isaiah, um, talking about Jesus, verse 19. He shall not strive, nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets, which means he's not going to fight, not going to yell or shout, not going to shout in the streets. And I love what verse 20 says. A bruised reed shall he not break. And a smoking flax or candle shall he not quench, put out, till he send forth judgment into victory. The the weakest, the most vulnerable, the flickering candle that looks like it it might be ready to go out, The, the reed that is bent and bruised and ready to be ripped off, he cares for it tenderly. 
the weakest, most vulnerable, find refuge in the one who is most powerful. That is the gentleness of Jesus. The biographies of Jesus in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of the life of Christ. They all describe instances and stories of the character of Jesus, including his gentleness, but none are so loved uh, so well and so remembered so well than in our next passage as we start chapter 8. We start chapter 8. And let's look at the scripture. We're going to read through this 11 verses, pause and take some application from it for our lives today. Let's jump in. John 8, verse 1, and let's read it. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. So here he is, a crowd of people were gathered, and and, uh, they came to hear Jesus, who was well known, and and he sat down and began to teach them. Verse 3, and the scribes and Pharisees. Now, it's interesting that these two groups of people were actually working together. They were really scheming together, the scribes and the Pharisees. They often didn't. Uh, the, the teachers, the scribes, the, those who, the interpreters of the law, and then also the Pharisees, the enforcers of the law, bringing, working together, scheming together against Jesus. What did they do? They brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. So Jesus is here teaching. A group of people are sitting around and listening to him teach, and suddenly the scribes and Pharisees, these enemies of God, these enemies, well, enemies of Jesus, they thought they were the friends of God, but they were really going against his work through Jesus Christ, and they bring this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. It's probably worth mentioning that they brought the woman caught in adultery. But adultery is a, is a two-person dance. It takes two to tango. And it, it's, it's, it's not just one person, is it? You, their, their motives are so clear here, aren't they? Their motives are so clear. It's, you, have to, you have to see that. You have to point that out. They only brought the woman. And the scriptures say, as, as we continue down through uh, um, verse number uh, 3, they brought a woman taken adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, right in front of the crowd, by the way, caught in the very act of adultery, caught in bed, humiliation here, They throw her down in front of the crowd as Jesus is teaching. And they say unto him, Master, or teacher, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. There's no question, Jesus. There's no need for a jury. We just want you to render a judgment. Verse 5, they continue to talk. They say, now Moses in the law commanded us uh, uh, that such should be stoned. So in other words, you know, the law is clear, the guilt is clear, here she is, the guilt is clear, we just want to hear you, Jesus, say it. That's what I say, what, but what sayest thou? What sayest thou? Jesus' response is a beautiful example for us of gentleness. This is what it looks like to wield power properly. This is Jesus, all-powerful God, Son of God, who is God. This is what it looks like to wield power properly. We're going to look at the response of Jesus and try to draw some application for us this morning. We are supposed to be, we're made in the image of God, aren't we? We're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We should always, always be letting the grace of God work in us to become more like Jesus Christ. So let's see how he responded and apply it in our own lives. Verse number six. This said they, tempting him, 
that they might have to accuse him. We know that their motives were clear. They, they were saying something that they, so that they could, waiting for him to say something so that they could use it against him. They're always doing that. But Jesus, verse 6, stooped down. Jesus stooped down. That's an odd response to being challenged. You see, they're putting him on the spot. They're, they're, they're standing him up. They're, they're threatening him. What do you say? You see it. It's clear. We know what happened. What do you say? And he, he assumes the most unexpected of postures. He stoops. He, 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 he kneels down. He's vulnerable. He's, he's close to the ground. He, he's kneeling down. And it says in verse 6, And with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. It doesn't tell us what he wrote in the ground. Preachers, including myself, we like to theorize about what he may have wrote. Maybe he wrote the names of the accusers. Maybe he drew a picture. Who knows? None of that's there, though. We don't know what he wrote. But here's what's, here's what's entirely possible, church, and hear this. Jesus had these accusers, the scribes and Pharisees, this woman in front of the crowd, and his response to this question from his accusers, what do you say about this? Where's your judgment? His response to them is to simply stoop down and doodle. To doodle. Is there anything more dismissive than doodling? If you had a pen and paper right now, you could be just doodling. You know when you write the little thing, the three lines, three lines, and make a little S out of it? You just doodle. You're on the phone with a telemarketer. You're just like doodling around. You're just... Or in school, teachers know this. Doodling, there's nothing more dismissive than doodling. What are you, what are you writing? You're writing nothing. Possibly, maybe, likely, he was just doodling around the dirt. Almost with the, the, the nonchalant, like, oh, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. It's an interesting response, like you don't have a, a care in the world, and you have to realize he's doing the opposite of what everyone expected him to do. They expected him to do um, what people nowadays, the word, you know, you heard the word flexing? Flexing, I'm probably too old to say that word, maybe that's not even really a thing anymore, but you know what I'm talking about, the, you know, flexing, or of, of, of showing off and, and kind of showing your power. And the first lesson that we see from the example of Jesus Christ and his gentleness is, is to stop flexing. Stop acting that way. The, the inordinate, disproportionate, and sometimes even abuse, abusive use of power. Flexing, just showing yourself. There's something about flexing, about acting that way that makes us feel strong. Showing off our power. Being the loud one. Being the one with the louder voice. Winning the arguments. Research shows lobsters. Lobsters... Uh, uh, they have many chemical similarities to humans, so they're used for testing a lot and things like that. And they're very territorial creatures. You probably know that already. They need a space all their own. And when they encounter another lobster, you know, in the ocean, uh, what, what do they do? They, they, they throw their claws up and they wave them around and they dance back and forth like a boxer. They, they squirt stuff out of their eyes, which is nasty. And they just, they're, they're, they're showing themselves, they're, they're showing their strength, like, I got it, get out of my zone. And they, there's something about flexing that makes us feel strong. And the lesson that Jesus gives us here, perhaps, is, is that flexing may not be the strongest thing you can do. It may not be what you can get, but what you can give. The greatest measure of your strength may not be what you can get when you flex, but, but what you can Give. You don't have to win every argument. 
You don't have to, to use a, a simple um, example, you don't have to get that parking spot, rush into it. You don't have to um, you know, be the best, be the loudest. It's pride. And Jesus shows us here um, in this scripture, they expected him to just give judgment. It was clear, the law was clear, the scripture did say that. But instead he knelt down and began to doodle. Another piece of the story we see here, verse 7. When they continued asking him, because obviously he just really wasn't answering them, and they asked, what say? He's just doodling around, maybe playing tic-tac-toe, who knows, whatever he's doing. And he's just doodling in the ground, and they're asking him, like, what are you saying? They keep asking him, and he's finally, verse 7, he lifts himself up. It's almost like he finally gets up, he's like, you guys are still here? Like, like what's going on? Like, just, the law of the land is as you say, so let's just get this over with. Verse um, number 7. He said unto them, as he gets up and they keep asking him, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. Verse 8, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out, left one by one, beginning at the oldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Can you take that, take that whole picture in this morning, church? We've heard, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard the story a thousand times. Would you just take that whole picture in? The easy thing for Jesus to do would have been just, listen, it's not my job, it's not my place, deal with it. The law is what the law is. But he does the unexpected. Listen, he's not just clever. He takes a stand. And, and that may be the most, one of the most important parts of this passage, of this story, is so far as that Jesus, in this moment of gentleness, decides to take a stand against evil and against injustice. See, what the easy thing to do here would have been to just let it go, but he decides to stand with her. The most powerful thing we can do often is not to flex and show our power and show how strong we are and show how loud we can be, but to stand. Sometimes alone. And sometimes with someone, by someone. That lesson, that second lesson we see from Jesus is number one, yes, in his response to stop flexing, stop showing off, stop trying to look the, the most powerful and, and show off that power and abuse that power. Yes, number one, but number two, a lesson we see is, is to stand against evil and to stand against injustice. Sometimes the simple act of standing alongside someone is, is so powerful, so powerful. My kids are getting older, and I hate it. I hate it. I don't like it. You know, when they're babies, you're like, I can't wait till they actually sleep through the night. I can't wait. And then as they go older, I've seen all these newborn babies around at the church, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it kind of was a little easier back then in some ways, a lot of ways, you know? And, and um, my son Donald just turned 11. He's in sixth grade, already, already almost halfway through the, the year, and he's going to be going into seventh grade, and you're just like, oh, it's crazy. And... And uh, he went to his first um, dance on Friday night, a Halloween dance at Mattakey's. And he was so pumped about it. And I'm kind of like, well, I never had to go to a dance. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't let you go to a dance, you know? And um, Donald's was such a good kid. He's just so sweet. And, and I said, no, fine. It's just two hours long. There's a lot of staff there. It's fine. There's sixth grade, seventh grade. He's just going to have some snacks. He's just going to be just having a good time with, with his friends. And I'm like, this will be fine. 
And um, I, get, I get there, there's like a billion cars are dropping people off. And as I begin to get closer to dropping them off, I'm like, I don't like this. Like, he's too big. Because he's like, he's like, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I'm nervous. He was like, can I get out now? I'm like, we're still in traffic, man. We got to wait till we get closer to the door. He was ready to go. And he gets out and just like runs to the line because they had a big line of kids and they had like all the staff helping them get in, check them and give them their little wristbands and all that stuff. And, and um, he runs up and I'm like, oh, I hope he gets in. So I'm like, I'm pulling out and I like, and I see him in the line and then I'm like, I end up like literally, embarrassing to say, I, I, there's like a billion cars. I pull off into the dirt just so I could see him, like make sure he gets into the thing. And uh, it was just, oh, like as he gets older, it's like Marissa with, when Brady went to kindergarten, like he was so excited. Aren't kindergarten supposed to like cry? Like, I don't want to go to school. Brady's like, I'm ready to go, man. And see you later, mom. Like, bye, mom. And she's like, Ooh. like, we just want to go with them. I, honestly, with Donald, I wanted to just, his first football game that he played in, I was on the sidelines hyperventilating. Like, he's going to get slammed. He's never played. He's not what he's supposed to do. And I honestly, I wanted to be out there with him. Like, let me stand here. You stand right here, Bubba. Do this. And then even on Friday night at the dance, I'm like, I just want to go in with him and be like, okay, yeah, don't talk to that kid. He's probably a jerk. Okay, over here. Hey, you know what? You want somebody to eat? I'll get somebody to eat. I got cash. I just wanted to be right there with him to take care of him. I want to help him. And you can't do that with that kind of stuff. You can't stand next to him his whole life. Stand next to him in those areas. But the truth is, sometimes you can stand, though. You can stand with someone. Sometimes when you see suffering, you see brokenness, when you see injustice or you see evil, sometimes the most powerful and brave and gentle thing to do is just to stand and not go anywhere. Sometimes to stand against something, yes, and sometimes to stand with someone. And in this moment... In the scriptures, Jesus stood with this woman. And he stood against what he perceived to be a great injustice. He stood with her. And may we have the courage given from God to stand against evil, to stand against injustice, to stand with someone. But the story's not completely over. You, to fully appreciate the story, you have to read all of it and what comes next. So if I can bring you back to the story, here we are. Everyone has left. The, the scribes and Pharisees have left. I said each one of them put things down and left all the accusers. But remember, Jesus was teaching. So there was people there just listening to him teach, not the scribes and Pharisees. So it's now Jesus and the woman and, and this crowd of people sitting off to the side that were listening. The accusers and Pharisees have all gone. And it's Jesus standing with this woman. In verse number 10, if I can get there, when Jesus had lifted up himself, remember he had asked the question, he, or had said, he that is without sin cast the first stone. And then it says he stooped back down and began doodling again in the, in the dirt. And they all left, threw their stones down and left. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath, hath no man condemned thee? I love when Jesus asks rhetorical questions. <laughs> He knew. It's almost like it shows his sense of humor. Like almost like, oh wait, no one, no one, there's no one left? What happened? You know, imagine that. She said, no man, Lord. Nope, they're all gone, Lord. You see, she had found a new savior. She, she, came, she came thinking she was going to meet the judge 
But she met the Messiah. She found a Savior. She found her Lord. And the scripture says on, verse 11, And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now some people who read this passage, they, they read it a bit too quickly. And they like to say that Jesus doesn't judge. You see, Jesus doesn't judge. He didn't condemn But oh no, Jesus, Jesus judged. It's pretty clear that Jesus judged. In fact, in this story, Jesus judged everybody. Everybody. What he didn't do, he didn't condemn. And there's a difference. He said, go and sin no more. In other words, you're free to go. And not just, not just go, like leave the area, but you're free. You're free to go without the burden of the past and the bur- or the burden in the future to, to follow an old and broken way that is not best for you. Go. You are free. You are free from your past and you're free from the burden of the future. He, doesn't ju- he judges, yes, but he doesn't condemn. And, and here's, the, here's the problem in the story. The story, the religious people here, and, and let's just qualify religious people. We, we look at the Pharisees and all these people in the, in the scriptures and we say, oh, and we hear about the Bible, we, we see them and we say, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. But Jesus described religious people as people that are confident in themselves. And that encompasses a whole lot more people than we may have realized, including ourselves. See, the problem with the Pharisees is that they forgot who they were. They came to Jesus' courtroom for a judgment. They came as prosecutors and, and they brought a defendant, this woman caught in the act of adultery, and they wanted Jesus to render a verdict. And when Jesus said, let him who was without sin cast the first stone, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees and scribes, listen, you are not the prosecutor, you are a co-defendant. You're right there with her. They had forgotten who they were. You see, the same grace that was being offered to this woman was being offered to them, but they couldn't receive it. They couldn't find it or have it because they saw themselves as prosecutors and not defendants. But there's something that is so beautiful about grace and forgiveness that sets us free. Have you ever met someone who is overcoming addiction? I have. And when you talk to them and they're, maybe they're in a program or in a rehab or, or you know, whatever it may be, just in discipleship, whatever it may be, and they're overcoming this addiction, they've admitted it, they've, they've acknowledged it, and they know they need help and they're seeking help. When you talk to them and they introduce themselves there's, and, and what they're doing and who they are, there's, there's almost a hint of, of pride in their voice. A hint of, of hopefulness. They may only say, like, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm from this, I'm, I'm from this house, or I'm from this house, whatever it may be, like this rehab center. And, and when they say that, there's, there's almost more to it than just an introduction. It's almost like they're saying, you know, I'm on a journey. I'm on a journey, and I, I want you to know that. I love that. I love hearing that. It's the sound of a second chance, isn't it? I love, I love being around second chance people. You know why? Because I'm 
second chance people. It's realizing that grace is better than we ever imagined. It's not just grace for the past. It's grace for the future. It doesn't just cover what's gone before, but it makes what's to come possible. That's the grace of Jesus. It sets us free. It sets us free. It's not that Jesus didn't come to judge. It's that he didn't come to condemn. It's that he came to offer grace and hope and mercy and a second chance. And the truth is, every single one of us needs that grace that was shown to that woman in that crowd, humiliated. I don't care where you're from. I don't care who you are, how good it's been for you, how bad it's been for you. All of us need that grace. Only some of us don't realize, and so we leave. We walk away. We throw the stones down and just leave. And some of us stick around and get to hear from Jesus the rest of the story. I think that's what it looks like to follow after Jesus. To stick around, receive that grace, and see the rest of the story. It's so easy as Christians, as a church, to condemn. It's so natural for us sometimes to condemn others, to condemn ourselves. Maybe you've been, as our core group, we've all been here a while, and, and maybe you're wondering, like, is all that even possible? How can I live a gentle life? How can I have the gentleness of Jesus in my life? How can I respond that way? It's because of Jesus and his grace that covers the past and makes the future possible. In church, you get to decide what to do with Jesus. You're saved. You're a believer. Are you going to let him change you, grow you. He won't force his way into your life and into your schedule. But when you hear him knocking, you can answer. You can decide as a Christian now. You believe, you mean, you've accepted Christ, that secure eternity, and you can decide now to continue to take steps of faith, embracing him as, yes, your Savior for your eternity, but your Savior for the here and now. And this is your moment, church. Take that step of faith and follow. May we not be a church that condemns. May we not be a church that, that, that lives that way and that acts that way that where people can't come and don't feel damn much this morning about coming and feeling welcome. You belong here. Let's have the gentleness of Jesus. Would you bow with me for a moment? He's faithful and he's good. And maybe we don't have the gentleness that we need to have. Maybe we don't have the gentleness that we should have. We've got to stop this flexing. Stop this trying to, man, be the smartest guy in the room. Being the loudest voice. Winning the fight. Showing off our talents and showing off our strength and really abusing the power that is given to us from God. And maybe we need to just stop that. Stop seeing what we can get. But what is it that we can give? To stand against evil and injustice. To stand against these things. To stand with someone. That person at your job, that person in your family, that person that maybe doesn't have it all together. And you have to remember that you don't have it all together either. We forget who we are. 
We can live lives of spiritual freedom. We have to remember who we are. We are broken people in need of a daily Savior, a moment-by-moment Savior. Thank you again for listening to the Coastline Baptist Church Podcast. We hope the message was an encouragement to your heart. Please connect with us through our website, coastlinecc.org, or on Facebook or Instagram. Send us a message, send us an email, and we'd love to connect with you. We'd also love if you could visit us for a Sunday morning service. You can find our address on our website, and our services start at 10 a.m. Our mission at Coastline is simply this, to know Jesus deeply and to show Jesus daily. I hope that we've helped you do that in your life today. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.